Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 136 of Manage the Wild. I'm Nick Madsen. I'm currently looking in the rules section at the administrative rule R657-3. What is that talking about? It's talking about the collection and importation and possession of exotics. Exotics prove an interesting challenge for native wildlife here in the area. One of my duties later on that I got to do that I enjoyed was going around and looking at facilities and making a recommendation of whether they should be approved to bring in fallow deer or not. Some of the locations I went to had adequate ground. They had enough fencing and they had enough feed as well as water. And so I could confidently say I would recommend them. Others, I remember one in particular, they were trying to bring in five to 10 fallow deer. And when I pulled in, I thought I got the address wrong. There's no way they would put one in a subdivision. Sure enough, I go up to the house and I knock and they, I said, hey, I'm here to do a fallow deer inspection to see whether they approve. And they said, oh yes, come on back. And and their lot sat on 0.18 acres, so not even a quarter acre. And they were trying to bring in 10 individuals and they didn't really have any fencing. They had a vinyl fence. They didn't really have water, but they were going to use the hose. And it was just the most unique, interesting situation. Um, and the challenge they had at that time when I was inspecting this facility is they already had fallow deer on the property. They were not aware that they needed any type of approval to bring in fallow deer. So they already had fallow deer on the property and they didn't qualify, which means they had to give up their fallow deer. But there are other situations where you come across where people have fallow deer or other exotics and they're just not aware that they need to do anything. The challenge with bringing exotics in is the fact that they carry a lot of the same diseases that the native ungulates do. And so you've got challenges there in keeping them separated, whether the wildlife have it and they're spreading it into the exotics or the exotics have it, and then they're going to spread it into the wildlife. And a lot of the situations that I went in when they were looking at first getting fallow deer is they didn't know they had to do vet inspections or whatnot. They just bought it from an individual down the road like you would a cat or a dog or a rabbit. And then they would bring him in and then somebody would be like, oh, did you get approval for what? And now it's only $10 in the state of Utah to apply for a permit. So it's not that much, but a lot of people weren't aware. But in these other areas where exotics... I guess, run more freely in different states. I was just talking with a wildlife biologist in Texas, and nilgai tend to roam more freely there than they would be allowed in the state of Utah just because of the way the land ownership works. Utah is 64 or 65% public. Texas is 3%, so it's largely private. And so they have different regulations and requirements. Some of the challenges you face is those diseases that these exotics can carry can directly be moved into the native population. In New Mexico, Gemsbach are there and they found out the fact that the Gemsbach can carry epizootic hemorrhagic disease as well as blue tongue. 
They can also get brucellosis as well as tuberculosis, CWD. There was a fallow deer facility not too far from me that ended up having one of their animals test positive for tuberculosis. And the challenge with these facilities is it's secure in keeping the animals in. But if a mule deer or an elk wanted to stick its muzzle through the fence and nuzzle one of the other fallow deer, then they very well could. Wildlife managers as well as uh, biologists were concerned that that's exactly what happened. And for a period of time, they were trying to collect as many blood samples in that area as possible because the possibility of mule deer contracting tuberculosis. And so you have those situations that are happening that just prove difficult. When uh, we were talking to the biologist from Texas with Nilgai, they have... Uh, I guess they're more predisposed to carry a certain kind of tick and the tick outbreaks that they've been happening have been linked to the nilgai in that area. So you're putting a burden on your native population by carrying higher loads of diseases that let's say these exotics haven't faced from the area that they're coming from. Exotics are proving to be uh, intriguing, and they're bringing people in, I guess. Uh, they're bringing people in. They're bringing exotics in, which are proving to be challenging in the fact that there's so many exotics being brought in. What happens when one of them escapes? Uh, do people have the ability to track them down and to find them? So in the state of Utah, you can get a COR for um, fallow deer, caribou and muskox and a lot of these are tied to christmas and the others are petting zoos but again they still have challenges but uh, when these animals run more freely in other states based upon their regulations there is going to be some head-to-head -head competition there's uh, in new mexico they brought in an oryx and they thought it was largely a grazer grazer similar to elk and what they ended up doing after research is finding out that it's a large majority of its diet actually consists of browse. And so there was head-to-head -head competition with mule deer. And so the more that we try and alter the landscape with the unique and the different, the more challenges we are bringing upon ourselves. So states are trying to regulate the amount of exotics being brought in and how many are being released just because of the chance of disease or other competition factors. All right, that's all I got for today. You guys have a great day. Stay wild.